So if uh, I have questions, okay? And, and there are questions. How many of you, if, if Jesus were to kind of to pop in here right now, if Jesus were to pop in here right now, how many of you would want to ask him a, a question? And maybe you, maybe you know what that question is. You know, you're thinking, I, I got some questions for Jesus. Like for me, uh, I would want to know, why do some people have an innie and some people have an outie? I don't know. Doesn't make any sense to me. Actually, that's, that's just a facetious question. That'd just be an icebreaker, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, in, in all actuality, I'd probably ask him a question like, how could someone so perfect love a complete wretch of a sinner like me? How could somebody so perfect love me, Sean, the, the sinner? Um, and maybe you have questions for Jesus. Maybe there are questions that you'd want to ask him. And, and they may have nothing to do with, with anything of consequence. Or they could be just the deepest question in your heart. Maybe a question like, why, why did my father die when I was so young? Or, or maybe a question like, well, wh why did my wife get cancer? Perhaps it's a question of, you know, God, why, why did you make me the way I am? Why, 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 am I, why am I this way? Why, you know, why do I feel this way about certain things? Or, you know, why do I have these special needs that, that make life harder and more difficult? God, why am I the way I am? Or maybe it's a question of, you know, why did I lose my job? Right when everything was going so well and then everything kind of fell apart. Maybe you'd ask Jesus... You know, why did, my, why did my marriage fall apart? I did everything I could. I tried so hard. You know, why, why did that happen? I think we've all got questions for Jesus. And that if he were to pop in here right now, if he were to show up and, and come and sit in the front row, um, you know, and said, anybody can come and ask me any questions, I, I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, would say, yeah, I got a question for you, Jesus. Well, we wouldn't be the first ones. We would not be the first ones to ask questions of Jesus. Uh, because we're going to see in Mark chapter 12 that there were several groups of people who came along and asked Jesus questions. Now, we've been, starting, uh, we've been studying the book of Mark here uh, since the beginning of the year. Now, if this is your first time here today, just so you know, uh, the book of Mark is a gospel. Uh, it is a uh, biography of Jesus written by a man named Mark, who is a traveling companion of the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter would tell stories about what Jesus did and the things that he said. Uh, and um, so Jesus, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Mark compiled all these stories into a biography uh, of Jesus that we know as the gospel or the book of Mark. So uh, right now, uh, if you brought a Bible, uh, grab it and turn to Mark chapter 12. Thanks, Ron. Uh, Grab a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 824 of that Bible. Uh, we have brand new chair Bibles, actually, and these just came in last week. And so we've had those out for a couple weeks. They're nice and, 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 and new and fresh. They got that fresh Bible smell. Ah. Or you can follow along on your phone using an app like uh, the GFCC app, because we actually have an app here at GFCC. Uh, I just got my push notification that says, want to follow along in the sermon. And uh, you can go to our app and go to the sermon notes page uh, right there. Um, it says March 23rd and 24th, uh, Mark chapter 12. And you will see uh, the different scripture passages that I'll read, uh, as well as there'll be some blanks to fill in toward the end. Uh, so if you haven't downloaded the app yet, you can go to the, your app store 
whether it's iTunes or Google Play, and type in GFCC, and the Griffith First Christian Church logo will pop up. You can download the app and put it on your phone or tablet, or you can text GFCC app to 77977, and it'll give you a link to download as well. So we're in Mark chapter 12. We left off in Mark chapter 11. Now, if you recall, uh, Mark chapters 1 through 10 cover about three years of Jesus's ministry, and Mark Mark chapters 11 through 16 cover the last week of Jesus's life. So over one-third of the book of Mark is the last week of Jesus's life, because there's so much that happens, and it's so vitally important that we understand what's going on in the last week of Jesus's life. Um, uh, Also, Uh, In Mark chapter 11, it ends on Tuesday. So it starts with the triumphal entry known as Palm Sunday, begins on Sunday, and then continues through Monday and into Tuesday. And here we are on Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' life uh, in Mark chapter 12. Um, At the end of Mark 11, the Jewish leaders came up to Jesus and questioned his authority. They wanted to know, by whose authority uh, did you do the things that you did this week, which was driving out the money changers from the temple courts, driving out the, the, those who were selling animals for sacrifices from the temple courts because they were cheating their own people uh, and they were prohibiting the Gentiles from coming and worshiping in their court. And so Jesus was angry with, the, with those who were cheating people and, and prohibiting others from worshiping uh, and he drove them out of the temple and the, it just really ticked off the, the chief priests and the leaders of Israel and, the, and, he wanted them, and they wanted to know, okay, Jesus, who gave you the authority to do these things? He asked them a question, they couldn't answer it. And he's like, if you can't answer my question, I'm not gonna answer yours. And then at the beginning of Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells a story, a parable. Now, a parable is simply a, uh, if you want an easy definition, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And and Jesus used common, ordinary, everyday items and objects and and situations to reveal bigger, deeper truths. So he tells them a parable, and and he's going to call out the Jewish leaders in this parable, not by name, but they know he's talking about them. Look at Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. We're going to read a big section right here. It says, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, he said. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Hold on, just one second right there. This imagery of the, the vineyard, the wine press, and the watchtower comes from Isaiah chapter 5, which was a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah about what Israel was going to be like and things that were going to happen in the future. So Jesus is using, again, things that they know. And if you get a chance this week, look up Isaiah chapter 5 and you'll see this imagery there. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. And this was common in those days. It was called, we know it as sharecropping. Uh, the vineyard uh, owner rented out his vineyard to some other people to come in and tend to the vineyard. And then they would share the profits. Verse 2. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, sent him aw- and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. And what Jesus is referring to is the prophets of the Old Testament, and perhaps even John the Baptist, that they rejected, beat, and even killed some of the prophets that God had sent to them throughout the years. So the vineyard is Israel. The servants that he sent are his prophets who were rejected, beaten, and killed. Verse 6. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. Who do you think he's talking about? Jesus, right? He's talking about himself. 
he sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and this inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And Jesus says, What do you think is going to happen to the servants who killed the son? Now, he's predicting things that are going to happen in just three days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He's predicting things are going to happen in just three days, that they're going to take and kill the son of the owner of the vineyard. They're going to kill the son of God. And Jesus then quotes from Psalm chapter 118, verses 22 and 23. If you remember last week, I told you about the Hallel. It's the, the chapters of uh, Psalms 110, I'm sorry, one. Uh, ten, yeah, 110 through 118, uh, 111 through 118. It's those uh, psalms that the Jews would quote every year at the feasts. At all three feasts, they would quote the Hallel, these, three, uh, these several chapters of psalms. They would memorize them and then quote them. And in Psalm 118, we see Jesus. Again, they know what's going on here. And Jesus quotes Psalm 118 when he says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And the, the builders, the ones who were building the nation of Israel, rejected the very stone that would become the cornerstone of faith. And that's Jesus. The cornerstone is the most important stone in, the, in a building because it sets uh, the, the level, it sets the, the walls. And Jesus is the one who sets the foundation of our faith. And then in Mark chapter 12, verse 12, it says, The chief priests... The teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. It says later they sent some other folks to question Jesus. They're going to send some folks to start questioning Jesus. Three different groups come and question Jesus. The first is the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Herodians were supporters of the Roman governor, Herod Antipas, and the Pharisees were the experts in the law of Moses. They were the experts in the law of Moses. And so they send these guys to come and question Jesus. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed. They're buttering him up, by the way. They're flattering him. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, remember who is asking this question. You have two groups of people. you got some Romans who are supporters of the governor of Herod Antipas, the Herodians, and you've got the Pharisees. So you've got, you got two different groups of people, and they're all looking for the same thing. They want to get rid of Jesus. And so the Herodians, supporters of the government, and the Pharisees, not supporters of the government, want to know, should we pay taxes to Caesar. Now here's the thing about taxes. There were lots of different taxes. Sound familiar? There were lots of different taxes. Sorry. Uh, um, it, there was the temple tax that they had to pay. There were other taxes they had to pay. And then there was the imperial tax, which was the tax that Rome levied on its citizens. And since Israel was occupied by the Romans, they had to pay the imperial tax. And the Jews hated the imperial tax. Because it was a reminder that the Romans had conquered their land. And they had took the land that belonged to them and was given to them by God. And so they don't want to pay the tax. But if we can get Jesus to say, no, oh, see, they're slick. They're slick. 
If Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay the tax, well, the Herodians are going to run to who? They're going to run to Herod Antipas and say, you've got a revolutionary on your hands here who's telling people not to pay the tax. But if Jesus says, yes, you should pay the tax, well, now the crowds are going to turn against him because nobody wants to pay the tax. Sound familiar? Anyway, um, so Jesus, he's so cool. He's so slick. He's so cool. He's like, bring me a coin. And they bring him a denarius. It's a silver coin worth about a one, uh, one day's wages. And they bring this coin to Jesus, and on it is the inscription, uh, Tiberius, son of Caesar Augustus, the divine. And there's a picture of Caesar on it. And Jesus asks them, whose picture and whose inscription is on the coin? And they say, Caesar's. Verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. He doesn't answer the question. Because he knows they're trying to trap him. But he says, look, if the coin belongs to Caesar, give it to him. And everything else, give it to God. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. We'll see that in just a little bit. But give God everything, but render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. They get mad and they leave. <laughs> it says they were amazed at him. They were amazed at him. Well, then another group of people come up to him. It's the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees were an aristocratic uh, sect of the, the priests and the, and the, the leaders of Israel. Uh, it, was, it included the high priest uh, and several of the chief priests. So these are the, this is the cream of the crop. These are the most important religious leaders in all of Israel. All right, and they're going to come and ask him a question. Now, the thing you got to know about the Sadducees is they did not believe in a resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in a bodily resurrection of the dead. They believed that when you died, you went poof into oblivion. So, they come to Jesus, and they got a question for him. What do you think about this, Jesus, this issue of resurrection? Uh, look at verses uh, 19 through 23. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, which they did not believe in, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And Jesus says, are you not an heir because you don't know the scriptures? You guys don't even know what you're talking about. And, and then he, he raises a, a point to them. Uh, he says that, when the dead rise, which means he does believe in a resurrection, uh, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given a marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. A couple of points real quick. Um, first of all, uh, in heaven, uh, our relationships will be perfect because there will be no sin to mar them or taint them. Our relationships will be perfect. There will be perfect closeness and intimacy with one another. And, and as far as marriage, I mean, I believe that we will know one another in heaven. You're going to know me, and I'm going to know you. And, and, and we're all going to be together. It's going to be great. When it comes to we will be like the angels in heaven, uh, when you die, you do not become an angel, just so you're aware. I've heard people say that before. I've heard people say, you know, God needed another angel. No, God has plenty of angels, billions of them. You do not become an angel. In fact, the Bible says that you will, one day, we will judge the angels. That's kind of cool. You know, I don't like the way that one's looking at me. Not you. The angel over your shoulder. Oh, I don't like the way he's looking at me. 
No, no, it has nothing to do with that. But when it comes to our relationships in heaven, just know this. I don't know what it's going to be like. I know it's going to be better than it is here. And, and, and marriage here is wonderful. It's a great gift from God. Hi, honey. Um, marriage is a great gift from God. But you know what? Our relationships are, are, are marred and, and tainted by sin. And when sin is gone, our relationships will be perfect. And that's, gonna, that's a day of, of rejoicing that will be. Um, so Jesus then makes another point and, and tells them, think about Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. When, when God uh, appeared to Moses and said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, like the, the big three of Israel. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, I'm not the, uh, those guys are still around. Because Jesus says, in verse 27, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. So in other words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're still alive. Because God raised them. They, they did not just poof into oblivion. They're still around. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. So He silences the Sadducees. He, he's, he's silenced the Pharisees and the Herodians. He's silenced the Sadducees. And now a scribe is going to come. One of the teachers of the law is going to come up and ask Jesus another question. He hears them debating. And, and he's got a question for Jesus. He says, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? This is a question that they had asked, that the Jews had asked and, uh, ever, you know, all along. Because they had 613 laws. And they want to know, which are the most important? Which ones do I, do I really got to follow? What's the heaviest commandment? Jesus says this, verse uh, 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's known as the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater uh, commandment greater than these. And the teacher of the law, the scribe, agrees with Jesus and says, you have answered very wisely. There is no greater command than to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And there is no uh, other commandment like uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells them this. He says, you are not far off from the kingdom. That you're on the right track. You get it. You're not very far off. Well, that silences everyone. Everyone says, all right, We've had enough. And so Jesus starts to ask some questions then. And he starts to, to deal with some of the people around him. Uh, in verse, uh, starting in verse 35, um, I want to look at verses 35 and 36. It says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why did the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus is quoting from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 verse 1 says this. The Lord says to my Lord, this is David, says the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And what he's saying uh, is that you know, David was looking forward into the future when he saw that the son of uh, his own son, his offspring, would come and would be his Lord. That the son of David would actually be his Lord and he's looking forward to the Messiah. He's looking forward to Jesus as the Messiah. And so uh, it says the large crowd listened to him with delight. 
And see, they're, they're thinking that Jesus is the Messiah. They're starting to get it. Man, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. But they were, the reason they were filled with delight was because they thought Jesus was the Messiah who would come to do away with the Romans. Not to save the world from sin, but to save Israel from the Romans. And that's not why Jesus came. Well, then he begins to denounce the, the teachers of the law, the chief priests and the elders uh, in, in the next passage. Uh, it says uh, in verses um, 38 through 40, As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished severely, most severely. He says they make a big show of their religion and they like everybody to look at them and know who they are and they want everyone to know that they're one of the, uh, the chief priests, that they're one of the most important people in all of Israel. The teachers of the law, the elders, the chief priests, these guys think they got it all together and they think their stuff don't stink. I'm telling you right now, Jesus says, their stuff stinks. They devour widows' houses. In other words, they get rich off of the poor. Huh. I'm going to leave that one alone. Notice what Jesus says about them specifically. They get rich they devour widows' houses. And then the scene shifts to where people are coming to give their tithes to the temple. Now, in those days, they had these metal collection boxes in the temple treasury. And they had these large trumpets-looking thing, like a horn-looking thing, that went down, and they were all made of metal, and they went down into the, the box. And so all the coin, all the money back then was coin. And the larger the coin, the more valuable it was. And you would go in and you would just kind of chuck your coins into the trumpet and they would rattle down into the box where they would rattle some more. Now again, the bigger the coin, the louder the noise. The more impressive your offering. It'd be like if you were sitting next to somebody, you know, and the offering plates are pressed and you start seeing them doing this with $100 bills. Anybody do that this morning? Oh, man. Anyway. And, and maybe you'd step a few steps back and like Michael Jordan, just start shooting him into the, into the trumpet there. All the way down. All the way down. And Jesus notices someone, though. Out of all the people giving their offerings, he notices a woman. A poor widow, it says in verse 42. And she came and put in two very small copper coins. These are known as leptins. And they were the smallest coin in, uh, in Rome. Two tiny little copper coins probably didn't even make a sound as they went down to the trumpet. They were worth one 144th of a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. If you make $50,000 a year, you divide that by all the numbers, and I did the math, one 144th of a day's wage is about 15 cents in today's money. So about 15 cents, she put in two copper coins worth about 30 cents. And it says all these people were putting in large amounts, and you could hear it rattling down the, the, the trumpets. But Jesus notices her. Verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything. All she had to live on. 
what trust, what faith, that she says, I'm going to put everything in. And, and juxtapose that with what Jesus said about how the chief priests and the teachers of the law uh, devoured widows' houses, and here is a widow putting in everything. She, these guys are getting rich off of women like her. And she trusts God so much that she put in everything she had to live on. It's amazing. So if you want to give a remarkable gift, you want to give a gift that Jesus notices, it's not about the size of your gift, it's about the faith in your heart. Now, I started off this sermon by asking you, if you could ask Jesus any question, what would it be? And the title of the sermon is Questioning Jesus. I want to just tilt that a little bit. Instead of talking about us and people questioning Jesus, I want to make Jesus the questioner, that he is questioning Jesus. And what questions would he ask us? I believe there are three questions that Jesus would ask you this morning. The first is, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It's a question Jesus would ask. Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you believe that he is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the Savior? Do you believe that he died for your sins? And he's the only way that, to be saved. Who do you say I am is the question Jesus would ask you. How have you answered that question? Have you put your faith in him? Do you believe in him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Have you repented from sin? And are you continuing to repent from sin? Have you uh, confessed your faith and been baptized? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you made him the Lord and Savior of your life? Who do you say Jesus is? Question one. Question two. What are you doing to love God and love people? What are you doing to love God and love people? Remember what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love God. And the second is like it, to love people. And that means loving all people. It could be your spouse. Uh, it could be your parents, teenagers. God wants you to love your parents. Oh, man, do I have to? Yes. Because the way that we love God, according to 1 John, the book of 1 John, the way that we love God is by loving people. We show our, we demonstrate our love for God when we love other people. So whether it's your parents, teenagers, whether it's your children, parents, your grandparents, or, or your grandchildren, grandparents, it, it could be your neighbor, like your physical neighbor, the guy who lives next door, the family who lives down the street. It could be your coworker, that annoying coworker who never shuts up. I am that annoying coworker. Stairwell agrees. It, it could be your enemy. It could be that person who, you know, just grates on your nerves, or that person who hates you. Will you love the person who hates you? Because we show our love for God when we love other people people especially in the church we got to love one another and we show our love for god when we love other people the last question i believe jesus would ask is do you trust me do you trust me do you trust him with your time talent and treasure do you trust him with your life do you trust him with your heart do you trust him with your family do you trust him with your finances do you trust him to provide? Do you trust him to forgive? Do you trust me? The woman, the widow, the poor widow who threw in everything that she had to live on, 
She trusted God to provide. Do you, Jesus would ask you, do you trust me? I believe that these are the three questions that Jesus would ask you this morning. So how are you going to answer those questions? How do you answer the question, who do you say I am? How do you answer the question, what are you doing to love God and love people? And how do you answer the question, do you trust me? And depending on how you answer those questions, you know, someday we're all going to stand before God. And we're all going to stand before Jesus as our judge. And he's going to ask us some questions then. And what I want to hear, and what I hope you want to hear, are two words. Two words that when you stand before your judge, he will look at you and say, well done.